Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 563 on Tuesday, the 30th of January, 2024. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week full of conflation to fit narratives, we'll be taking a deep breath before tackling some of the news. In new new car news, we go all in with the Germans. And in points of interest, we discover there is no room for a sense of humour when it comes to the roads. But first, we do have some follow-up three pieces, and I'll start the first one off, which is all to do with the report independent, he says. He's doing air quotes, much, everyone. Much air quoting, independent review that GM ordered and Cruise both ordered, I presume, because they're both employing this independent law firm. The report has come out to explain what went on when the Cruise Robo taxi actually hit a pedestrian that had been previously injured by a human driven car and then proceeded to trap them under the car and drag them towards the nearest curb. One of the big things that's come out of this is that the report states that, in its view, no one deliberately tried to mislead the regulators by not showing them the full video, which demonstrated and showed that they could see that the human was trapped underneath and the vehicle then moved off. In three meetings, this was the same issue, yes. Three meetings. Yes, three meetings because because the internet wasn't performing well enough for that video to come up. It's three separate occasions, just, just making sure. On three separate occasions. It's happened once, it's happened twice, and in the third one, even then, they didn't choose to explain verbally or with a follow-up email that that had happened, but they weren't being deliberately misleading. The good thing, though, about the internet is it was working well enough for all the positive-looking videos that they sent to specific journalists who proceeded to say that Cruz had done no wrong, what wonderful things autonomous vehicles are. Oh, oh, our 24-hour news cycle has a lot to answer for. Uh, (laughs) If you read through the report, it explains that there's effectively no safety culture, there's no safety processes, There are going to be a number of links in the show notes. The first is to a Jalopnik article that just gives the quick breakdown of what came out. There will be a couple of Twitter threads from John Berry, who has been following uh, what Cruz and Waymo do in uh, San Francisco for years now. And he runs through a certain couple of bits of the key points that came out. And then there is a piece written by Bryant Walker-Smith, who is heavily involved and has been for years in autonomous vehicles, uh, legislating them, the legal side of things to do with them. And he was also part of the team that helped bring the SAE levels in. He has a lot to do with this. In this article, he has uh, six points, seven points, sorry, that he has issue with or, or puts his initial thoughts to do with this review. And I really recommend you read that because he absolutely skewers everything that, that has been put out by this. It's just appalling, absolutely appalling. Don't forget, Cruz was one of the poster childs for the AV industry and supposed to be brilliant and blah, 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 which quickly turned around when people found out what they're doing. They go, oh, no, we always thought they were a bad one. Mm. Now, I hope the people that are happily talking about how wonderful Waymo are are going to use the same level of critical thinking and objective reviewing of what Waymo and the rest of the industry does rather than hype it up still because there's no place for it. It's killing people. It's hurting people. Alan, do you want to take us something actually... Uh, well, after that, I couldn't think of any sort of witty link between them. 
the UK government aired a plan or an idea that it would maybe push MOTs back to every two years. Probably it was going to be one of those helping the motorist type campaign promises, but it turned out that all the motorists said, no, 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 no. Every year's just fine, thanks. It's bad enough as it is. We have enough issues with emissions and defects and all sorts of stuff like that. Let's keep them to every year, please. And the other thing was pushing back the first test to four years old was the other part of the idea. You see enough lease vehicles these days with bald tires to know just how dangerous and how lethal that would be. Mm. Know that we have listened to drivers in the industry, says uh, Rhodes Minister Guy Opperman. And keeping MOTs in their current form shows once again we're on the sides of the motorist. It was them, though, they're the same people who proposed moving it out to every two years. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just pathetic. It's so lame. Well, amazingly, it's a consultation where they've actually listened. Can we take that small, small positive from all this? But uh, yeah, I do not understand why this keeps rearing its head every few years. It's a political point of view. Oh, we're moving two years because we're on the side of the motorist. We're keeping it one year because we're on the side of the motorist. I'll take us to Daihatsu, and I'm afraid I am the bearer of more bad news. I'm getting all the fun ones this week. You really are. And I, I arranged the order, so it's all my fault. But Daihatsu which you'll remember we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, has had a problem with a safety testing issue. They had tested a particular part, but fitted a different one. And they were hoping that the new tests would mean that everything's okay because they've shown the regulators that it performed in the same way, did the same job, and everything was fine. But it turns around that they are actually having to recall more than 320,000 vehicles, and they're going to extend their factory shutdown on uh, three of the Japanese uh, factories with the hope that they might open one of them before too long. Been a bit of a grim 12 months for Daihatsu. Uh, Back in April 2023, they had to recall 88,000 vehicles that were made in Thailand and Malaysia in 2022 and 2023 because the crush test results had been falsified. We're getting a bit of a theme here coming to do with Tests, results, Mm. and certifications, unfortunately. As designed, not being the same as as built. Yes. Uh, New news, but it sounds an awful lot like follow-up, and that's that Toyota uh, has halted the shipment of some vehicles over, small drumroll please, certification issues. Yes, as built was not necessarily the same as as designed and as tested in some models of Hilux, the Land Cruiser 300 model and a couple of other vehicles as well, including the Hiace, the Fortuner, the Innova, and the Lexus branded LX500D, which is a Lexus Land Cruiser. It's the same issue. They were doing horsepower output testing, and they discovered that the ECUs that were being used during the testing on the rigs were not the same ECUs that were, or not the same software or whatever, that was fitted to the cars. Japan's transport minister uh, said that it's going to conduct an on-site investigation of Toyota Industries' Hekinan plant in Aishi, where the company makes automotive and industrial engines. The numbers, though, are potentially quite eye-watering if they have to do a physical recall. 
Toyota said that they sold about 84,000 of the affected diesel engines during the financial year to March 31st, 2023. The CEO of Toyota, that's uh, Koji Sato, said that the company used 36,000 of the affected vehicles worldwide each month, which equates to approximately 432,000 units a year. Yeah, that's quite a few. Depending how far back this goes and whether they're all affected, that's an Mm -hmm. awful lot Mm -hmm. of cars or vehicles because there's vans as well. These are actually manufactured by Toyota Industries, which is part of the main Toyota itself. And really, this investigation initially started looking into emissions performance of forklift and construction machinery engines, uh, which I think are built at the same plant. Anyway, more emissions talk, really. I'm afraid so. And this is the news that the EU watchdog of the European Court of Auditors has reviewed the EU bloc's progress on reducing CO2 emissions from cars. From this, they state that they have failed to make any meaningful reduction in the levels of carbon emissions from combustion engine vehicles over the last 12 years. And then go on to say that obviously that means that the uptake of zero emission vehicles is even more vital than it was before. Can I have a quick pinch of salt alert on this particular story? Uh, so this is from a site called Euractive, but whilst I'm sure the reporting is, is absolutely top-notch, I do wonder, as always, like we do if we read a BBC story and it's written by the environment correspondent, then it's not always wonderfully accurate from an automotive standpoint. And in this one, there are a couple of flags for me. Uh, one of which is that the picture at the top, the headline picture of dirty cars, is very clearly from outside of the EU. It looks like it's from the Russian Federation because there are larders and stuff in there. And they're all grubby and it's all very grey looking as if it's heavily polluted with cars. And then further down, there is a link to another story about Dieselgate defeat devices being illegal. And there is a picture of a Volkswagen. Specifically, there is a yellow Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> renowned as the center of all the problems to do with diesel <laughs> never actually i don't think it's ever available as diesel or i'm sure that someone will tell me about some weird variant built in brazil or something but i think it was chosen because the color of the beetle matches the color of the banner on the website just to let you know maybe some holes in the automotive side of this particular article but we've linked to it nonetheless yes what the the auditors go on to discuss is that they feel that the efficiency gains that have happened through the advancement of engine technology have been undermined by the increase in the average weight and size of passenger cars. But Andrew, was diesel not our route to lower CO2 emissions? Well, yes, if we remember back to the 2000s, if we didn't buy a diesel, we were killing the planet. Mm -hmm. We all bought a diesel. But then something happened about 2015 I can't think what that might have been. Which then meant that... If you bought a diesel... You were killing the planet? You were up there with murdering children. Right. People stopped buying them and bought petrol cars and hybrids and latterly electric But the petrol cars increase in CO2, obviously, because more CO2 than diesels. Yes. Right. That might go some way to explaining why the CO2 emissions may have remained roughly stable. That and the fact that people are keeping their cars for longer. Yes, we did spot that glaring error in when it discussed all the things that could be contributing to this. And this is could be and possibly because the auditors have estimated 
that the average car mass has increased by around 10% between 2011 and 2022. Okay, Mm -hmm. I can see that completely. If we also connect that up to a report that came out, uh, talking of conflation as I did in the introduction, all cars have got bigger since 2001, which we all know, because if we stick a 15-year-old Clio against a modern Clio, completely different size, yeah, cars have got bigger, cars have got heavier, particularly if you start to stick a battery in them or mm-hmm. another powertrain and mix them together. Hello, hybrids. <laughs> and, yeah. Or if it's a battery electric vehicle, hello, batteries. <laughs> we know this. We, we know that these are, these are effects. But one of the other things that came out was it was talking a lot about how real-world emissions don't match test emissions, which we all know. But everybody knows that. Yes. Because the, the, the test cycle is a test cycle meant to be a base for everything with a nod towards the reality of everyday life, as opposed to being an absolute mimicry of me driving to work every morning. Yeah, but they're claiming difference, quite large differences, because they're saying for plug-in hybrids, the average gap between laboratory and real-world emissions was around 250%. Yes. Well, the trouble with the lab ones is that they, I think, is it better now that it's very, very gentle acceleration, which, of course, plays straight into the hands of any of these. They just stick with the electric for much, much longer than necessarily happens in real life when people jab at the throttle. And so the petrol kicks in. And we know, because we've talked about this when it comes to uh, EV range, WLTP does not agree with the US version, which does not agree with the Chinese version. Everybody looks at it slightly differently and asks the cars to do slightly different things in the tests. So there isn't this unified, as much of a unified test as we need. I'm sure we're preaching to the perverted and our our listeners know all of this stuff anyway. Mm. They also reviewed and found that some of the testing regimes in individual countries was not up to snuff either, and they weren't following through as much as they should be in the way that they felt they should be. Yes, I noticed that the Dutch authorities, uh, the Netherlands, well known for its, its motoring industry, didn't attend any type approval tests in person. Yeah, they are showing that they have some toe in the real world because they do understand and they acknowledge that there is a problem with the uptake of zero emission vehicles. Mm. Um, They mention higher purchase prices, insufficient charging infrastructure for a lot of member states. And then there's also the issues around battery availability, particularly because the EU just doesn't have the critical raw materials. Hello, China. (laughs) Which is absolutely spot on. Yeah. And now uh, the USA, because they've found a massive uh, lithium, is it, reserve somewhere in the West. So um, I'm sure there'll be Caterpillar will be rubbing their hands with glee as the machinery moves in to mine, mine, mine. Yes, where the output of the country overtakes any potential environmental concerns. You may have said I couldn't possibly comment. Do you want to stick with emissions, but this time take us specifically to BMW? Is this the last one of these? Yes, it is. That's a relief, everyone. We can breathe deeply after. BMW is under the investigation for a for a diesel uh, defeat device specifically against the X3 2-litre diesel models. The German Federal Transport Authority, the Kraft Bundesamt, uh, or KBA, has opened an investigation into alleged diesel exhaust gas manipulation by BMW. The vehicle at the centre of this is the X3 2-litre D built between 2010 and 2014, uh, fitted with a 2-litre turbo diesel, a four-cylinder engine, 
think built in the UK, which is used across the German car makers lineup. And specifically, there is a software program in this version. What's being alleged is that the vehicle manipulates the emission control unit by optimizing the exhaust gas filtering during test conditions. And that means that the X32D got a low emissions certification where necessary. Supposedly, it's the emissions of this model uh, change quite significantly, uh, whether or not the air conditioning is turned on or turned off whilst the test is being performed. Uh, supposedly, it is normal that these tests, uh, again, as we've just talked about, not necessarily mimicking the real world, are conducted with the air conditioning turned off. Mm-hmm. BMW is working in conjunction to attempt to clear the allegations, which they deny. Mm-hmm. If it does turn out to be true, uh, and I know uh, it's not in this article that we've got linked in the show notes, but I've read it elsewhere, the KBA are looking at other cars that have this same engine fitted as well. By the way, just to, so you remember what's at stake here, car makers will be able to be fined up to €30,000 per vehicle. Ouch. Ouchie. Andrew, passwords. Let's move on from emissions for a change. Leaving emissions and going to, <laughs> to uh, online security. And this is the news that Mercedes-Benz Enterprise Server on GitHub, which is uh, a repository for online coding projects where there can be collaboration with a variety of members across a company team. It's a collaborative environment for writing software. You do this bit, I'll do this bit, we'll stick them together in GitHub. It helps manage the project and mean that people can work on multiple parts at the same time. That's what GitHub's really useful. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of the people who had access left their token, which enabled them to get into the service without having to use two-factor authentication or something like that. They left that visible on the public interwebs, which fortunately, well, we don't know fortunately yet, but fortunately in this instance, a security researcher found it and gained access to the whole of the enterprise server. And in doing so, they could see things like the cloud access keys, blueprints, design documents, passwords, API keys, and other critical internal information, according to this TechCrunch article. Essentially, really bad stuff for anyone outside the company to be able to get hold of, particularly if you were a naughty person who wanted to do naughty things, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday soon. It's handy for naughty people because naughty people can see what the architecture is and essentially what the layout of the devices that are being connected together are and can see what the intent is and types of security and that kind of thing. So there's much less poking at stuff. It's a case of going, well, we know it's this, this and this, let's let's focus. Uh, whatever nasty thing we're about to do, straight into this, because we know that there's a security flaw in this, there's a, they can do all these kind of things. Not good from that point of view. It doesn't mean that everyone can go off and build their own Mercedes. No. Um, or anything like that. It gives people an understanding of how things go together, which is otherwise quite difficult to get. Yeah. Within a couple of days of being notified, Mercedes had said that they had removed that API token and removed the public repository immediately. Mm -hmm. That's according to a company spokesperson. And they said that they will keep an eye on to see if uh, they need to implement remedial measures. 
i.e. they don't know if people got access no, of course yet. Not. And they're keeping an eye in case somebody has and then something crops up. Yeah. It's all you can do in most of these situations. Potholes next. We're full of all the good news this week. Well, this one is slightly positive. It's to help. It is. Cycling UK has launched a new version of its pothole reporting tool called Fill That Hole. Some places are reporting that as an app. It's not a website, so it's available from just about anything. But it allows you to, with a few taps, uh, report a pothole. Yes. The success of this, obviously, depends an awful lot on the uh, local authority at the receiving end. Uh, Andrew, you were saying that you'd given it a try. Yes, unfortunately, in the area I am in, the council does not accept notifications from third-party apps. Um, so the the service then says, has an option, what should you do next? Or third-party services, because it isn't an app. Sorry, it's misleading because it's in the headline and it's wrong. Mm. Suggests that you should go to, onto the site to find out. You go onto the site to find out and it points you to an app that it wants you to fill in that is run by a third party <laughs> that you have to give so many details to after creating an account and then reporting it. But if you are in an area that doesn't have a dreadful council and allows people to tell them when there's a problem or makes it easy to, then I think this could be quite useful. Mm -hmm. The only worry might be that your work servers might block a website called fillthathole.org.uk. So you can do, you can do it from uh, any device connected to the internet. It's just worked. I've just opened the the page here quite happily. It's it's part of the Fix My Street site network. Mm. Because he's telling me that this this site is only for use in the UK, and of course I'm not in the UK at the minute. But yeah, it looks easy. You enter a postcode, locate the problem on the map, enter the details, and they'll send it in, uh, provided the council uh, accepts submissions from them. Yep. Good one. That takes us to Guilt Minute. Guilt Minute, I'm going to go off piece and I haven't scripted this. Oh dear. But it was just to mention that the new show that what you are listening to is now available on YouTube. YouTube's having a big push on podcasts. It's also a convenient platform that lots and lots of people have access to already and are familiar with. You may wish to like and subscribe and ding that bell to get notified of every new episode uh, of the Motoring Podcast as it comes out. And right at the minute, that's a fantastic way of supporting, uh, supporting us. One of the reasons being it gives a very, very good metrics. To be perfectly honest, I know that sounds incredibly selfish. You don't need to care about that because it gives you it nice and easily. But yes, it also gives us some 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 very handy metrics too. Yes, it's a static image. Don't worry, you're not you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. not being forced to look at our mugs. No, 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 no. It is just an image of the logo, and and that's that. The site, any uh, any podcasts that come out will appear on YouTube probably a little bit later than some other services just because they have to process the audio and put the static image atop it. That probably takes them a a, a couple of minutes, given their vast server farms, to be able to do that. But yes, available. uh, And that means you can get us on uh, YouTube Music as well, and also just standard YouTube under the podcasts. Link in the show notes, etc., etc., etc. But that might be a viable option for anybody who uses um, Google Podcasts. They're looking to phase out Google Podcasts, according to the email I got. Yeah. From Google and from YouTube. They're phasing out Google Podcasts, which is good because, to be honest, it was pretty dashed. If there was one podcast player we ever had issues with that people use to listen to us, 
it was Google Podcasts would occasionally lose it. Stuff would take hours and hours and hours, if not days, to magically appear on it. And the challenge for us is when a podcast player is slow to upload, there is nothing we can do about it. Because all we do yeah. is send a feed out into the ether and we rely on podcast players to consume that, mm. that feed in turn. When they're a bit rubbish at it, there ain't nothing we can do. This looks to be much more stable. Uh, already on there is hmm, about a year's worth of shows plus a whole bunch of special editions and it's nice to see people clicking on them. Mm-hmm. I think they're slightly disappointed by the fact it's a static image in some cases. But yeah, Honestly, it's better than the moving kind when it comes to us. <laughs> Faces for radio. Yeah, totally, totally. Anyway, new new car news. And this is the news that Volkswagen has given the Golf a facelift. We're now on Golf 8.5. I can't tell the difference. And according to the headline in car, it promises to be less annoying this time. Uh, it's very rare that there's a car launch that I have no particular opinion on. Yeah, I I have to say I am kind of a bit whatever. Yeah, fine. They've addressed, as I was discussing last week, they've addressed the infotainment issues Mm. regarding having some buttons now and it being backlit and the software's better. It's the backlit temperature control, mate. It's not even the infotainment issues. It's the fact you can't change the temperature in the dark. Well, that's that was all wrapped in the infotainment screen, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That was the problem. It's been slightly tweaked here and there looks-wise, but essentially it is really that the screen is now more usable by someone driving. Still not great because so much is touchy, but that's not a VW-only problem. No, no. By the way, when I say it doesn't move me at all, it doesn't stop me when people say, well, what should I buy? And I will still often suggest the Volkswagen Golf just because it is ubiquitous ubiquitous easy choice with a badge that people like and you know it goes from the stage where i say well do you are you bothered about the brand is normally my first question because if not i'll suggest a hyundai a kia corolla for this kind of hatch mm. and then but if they go yeah i am a bit then then it's it's you know it's volkswagen really or, or a one series if you if you fancy it's normally my default <laughs> There's going to be a huge array of powertrains, including hybrid, plug-in hybrids, petrol, and two diesels. Yes. Remember that the Golf sold in many, many markets outside the outside the EU as well. It's not a surprise that there is that, such a, a wide variety of engines available. No, the prices are yet to be confirmed as well, but everyone should expect them to be either the same or very, very close to what they are now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we're not really selling it, but it, it, by the, way, the thing it's is, a it's a Golf, and they've made it very much a Golf. If, but if we say and made the bits that were annoying less annoying. Anyway, do you want to take us to Porsche then? Yes, new Porsche Macan uh, has been unveiled. The configurator is up online for those of you who, a little bit like myself, can while away an hour or two on a Porsche configurator, uh, thinking, "What if?" They've unveiled the new one. It is only available as an electric vehicle. The basic level, <laughs> well, the two variants right at the minute, both of which are four-wheel drive. Uh, the uh, Macan 4 comes in is going to come in about £69,800 and a 402 brake horsepower. Uh, there will also be the Macan Turbo. No, I know it doesn't have a turbo because it's an EV, but that's the, you can use the model designation, stop being a pedant. 
coming at around £95,000, and uh, a mere 630 brake horsepower in that one. This new version will be sold alongside the current petrol-powered version till the end of 2025, when it will become a completely electric lineup and the existing one phases out. What else is to be known about it? It looks like, um, I think it looks like a McCann. The front is a little bit more bluff, perhaps, than in the past, and that does depend on which spec you choose. It's available in a variety of nice colours, and you can even order nice interior colours as well. The lavender is particularly cool, but I would never, ever choose it. But it's great that it exists, and I really hope some people do. Bits are available in a range of other colours too. Everything else is pretty much as you'd expect of a Porsche. It's a little bit longer than before. It's a smidgen lower overall. And yeah, it's got a slightly longer wheelbase as well. And that's about it, really. Evolutionary styling rather than anything else. I mean, we've just been saying this about the Golf. It's a Golf. Well, we know Porsche very rarely go very left field when it comes to updating existing models. Mm. It really is very small well, I mean, steps. this is a new, again, updating existing models, but this is a whole new platform. This is a different platform. So it's, an, it's a whole new generation of an existing model. It isn't yes. just, a, what I'm trying to say, and the reason I'm emphasizing this is I'm trying to say, it's not just the IC platform that's had a battery slung underneath it as an afterthought, a bit like, I don't know, that new Honda. Or the Lexus UX electric where you can see the battery pack sticking sticking out the bottom it is a a proper ev yep very cool go have a play with the configurator online and that'll use up a good 20 minutes so so that's fun lunchtime when you're not doing the lunchtime read this week (laughs) yeah okay i'm going to take us back to volkswagen and we go to the new passat which is estate only let us not forget and it looks like an ID7 with a grill in it, and it's we've got the same we've we've got the same problem. It's, it's, it's a Passat. It's a Passat. It's it's <laughs> you're never going to set the world alight with your with its divisive styling. It looks like a Volkswagen Estate, everyone. Yeah, and by what I've read on this car article by Jack Groves, it is a Volkswagen Estate. It is a Volkswagen in the front with an Estate at the back. Yeah, yeah. Latest UI for the entertainment, exactly the same screen we've just been discussing about the golf, etc., etc., etc. Starts at 38,480 quid, goes up currently 100. And, sorry, I've stolen your story 150 uh, horsepower petrol with a DSG, all with a DSG, uh, 42,830. But there will be pl- e hybrid, plug in hybrid models. Going up to 272 metric horsepowers, but the prices haven't been confirmed yet. No, it's kind of it's all it's good. Okay. Okay. It's a perfectly good looking thing, and I think the very last photo where it's not in silver, where it's in that nice greeny gray color with the fancier wheels, it looks it looks pretty premium. It's you know, it just elicits no reaction at all. Really, it's just, a problem. Yeah, yeah, but that's what Volkswagen used to be all about. It was not trying to be sexy. It was not trying to be exciting. It was the very much, if you need a car, but you want something that's a bit smart or considered smart and nice, then you've got a Volkswagen. It's a car for the people. Yeah. it'll. I mean, it's, it, it's large. The boot space is massive. It'll do a great job. As long as you can get on with the software, um, then you'll be fine. Yeah. 
it's a it's mostly a fleet car really it's also been developed with skoda well it's been developed by skoda basically uh, the superb is it i presume looking at the size of it superb is also available as a hatchback but yeah it, it is it has been developed mostly by skoda but i'm sure that's that's not a bad thing in any way shape or form no Anyway, do you want to finally take us to a car that perhaps we have gotten a little bit excited and interested in? Yes. I get grumpy about people resto modding 911s. Well, this is this is why I gave you this story. <laughs> M- mostly because every time I'm approaching the ability to buy some generation of 911, they then become very popular with people who want to resto mod them. And so the prices go shooting up. I've kind of given up on the 911 thing for the time being. Because exactly that. Anyway, Kalmar will take your 996 and they will make it cooler. And they will do that by essentially safariing all the things. Uh, so they'll jack it up a little bit. They will put on chunkier wheels and tires. You can get underbody protection. Uh, you can get an uh, expedition rack that goes across the back window so you have absolutely no rear visibility. Uh, but you do have a full-size spare tyre and some jerry cans of fuel because we all need those on our way to the shops. And it's 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 quite cool. I would probably choose quite a subtle spec. I love the wheels that are fitted to the one in the pictures. The link, by the way, to the top of your story uh, will be, of course, in the show notes. You can have this on a Carrera or a Turbo. The, the whole idea has actually been tested down to minus 35 centigrade, all sorts of stuff, uh, drive shaft struts, uh, top mounts, bushes, all reinforced or swapped out for heavier duty things, uh, dampers as well. I I would, I, I really would, 45,000 euros, so that's 38,500 pounds plus taxes. I mean, that's it all checked out and tickled out. I'm sure you could go for a part of that, but that includes, you know, completely rebuilding the 996 as well. It's pretty cool. It's still a bit of a bargain, to be honest. I'd rather have that than a new Ferrari. Any day. Yeah, yeah. So finally, we did find one that we could get a bit excited about. Yes, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, and that's not to decry what the others were. They are going to do a wonderful job of what they're being asked to do, but it's difficult to elicit any excitement when you look at a new Passat. It, it is, it is. The McCann is far more interesting for me. It's one that I did go, ooh, I wonder. Because I, I almost got distracted by McCann before buying the Lexus, by the way. There was a McCann and of roughly the same price, but obviously slightly older. And it was like, and then I went, Volkswagen Electrics, and then wandered off and back to where I was. Yes. Still like, I'm still trying to persuade a, co- a colleague to buy one, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to take us into points of interest and start with the lunchtime read. And this is from Matteo Licata, uh, writing in Haggerty. And telling us about Mario Rivelli, the most prolific car designer you've never heard of. And I hadn't. Me neither. To be fair. But then my historical automotive um, knowledge isn't as good as others in on this show, that's for sure. But wow, this is, this is a great read and some fantastic cars. And obviously, Matteo's um, investigations and his research pull out some superb snippets. And it's just, I just love reading about this stuff personally and finding out things that I, or about people that I never knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this is up there with one of those. And, and obviously we really like what Matteo writes 
uh, and helps us helps educate us with including by the way, including here's stuff like the simca uh a thousand and thirteen hundreds um towards the end of his end of his working uh period but of course those developed on into into later versions of the the, the simcas and and obviously and ultimately into the matter rancho there's not very many hops from there no. to to some of those kind of things but yeah really really prolific everything from race cars to as i say small simcas do you see the picture of him stun uh, of the uh the white one above the house yes yes that's i mean that, that that's peak lifestyle photos does does the chap look like he's got two two-toned trousers <laughs> he does a bit one leg's a different color from the other one it's obviously a reflection from something for the photograph, but it just really looks like <laughs> it's absolutely not. By the way, look at the go, yeah, follow the link, go to the Haggerty photo, and just see how tangential that is to the entire photograph. Everyone, <laughs> what? Why? How did you notice that? Okay. Go on, take us to the list of the week. Uh, list of the week this week is the best cars from the 90s. From Autocar. It is actually the second half of the best cars from the 90s. This is from uh, 95, 90, uh, from 1996 to 1999, uh, which leaves us with many, many, many vehicles. It's a big list. There's, what, 42 slides in this Autocar slideshow. Mm-hmm. Of which I am the only person in the world who ever has trouble with them. Andrew, have you picked one or two? I think we can probably widen it out this week, given there are so flipping many. If we're two, uh, I'm sticking with A, uh, and I'll go for first of all the Alfa Romeo 156. Aha, uh-huh. good choice. One of the ones that made my shortlist, yeah. And the second one would be the Audi A2. Right, again, popular one with uh, motoring podcast listeners, the A2. <laughs> It, it seems to be very popular. But I, I, I don't think we've beaten that packaging yet. No. Especially when we're in, when we're in the electric car era. It, it feels insane that we have not done better. I mean, like your favorite car, the, the Mark I A-Class, you... Yes, which I have to quantify. I, I, the packaging was superb. Everything else about it was not. <laughs> the packaging from those cars of that era was really quite excellent. Mm. Really, really good. And more relevant today than it was then. That's the ridiculous part of that. Yeah. So how about you? What do I fancy from you? Uh, Honda Integra Type R. I think that's a DC5, the 97 to 2001. Okay. And if I'm allowed a second choice, then the Bentley R Nash. Okay. Nice. Which is, you know, completely ludicrous. <laughs> but, but cool. Those are sort of, if I'm allowed to, I could have chosen five or six from here easily. Yeah, yeah of, there is cool a lot, lot to pick from. There's a few in there that I sort of go, mm, I know other people like them, but I didn't. Yeah, well, but same, fine. same here. Same here. Always the way with these lists. So don't forget to tell us what your choice would be, or choices. And of course, there's a Mark 1 Toyota Yaris, which wasn't listed there either. Was that from 96 or was that earlier? Uh, 90... No, it's from later. It's, uh, it, oh gosh, uh, 98, 99, I think, were the first ones. Alan, you'll have your... Uh, your membership to the Yaris Club removed by not knowing that just straight away. I think he's actually, ladies and gentlemen, I think he's pretending so he doesn't get accused of, of being told to drink at that point. <laughs> I have long, long given up my membership to the Yaris Club. I, I do have, uh, you know, when I was moving house, I found my membership card for Yaris Club UK and I think I was, was oh. mem- <laughs> member number seven. <laughs> 
So just outside the original uh, committee that created it. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah. It was set up by, set up by friends. It's a break-off group. <laughs> Splitters? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take us to the end finally. And this is the news that in the US, the Federal Highways Administration has said that there will be no more humorous digital signs on the US's roads. These are the signs that say things like Santa sees you when you're speeding. Fortunately, the picture does show it is snowing, so at least it appears to be remotely around the right time of year. Mm. Don't drive Star Spangled Hammered is another one that is in this article. Um, Alan, uh, I think there was one local to you. Uh, yeah, the Use Your Blinker one for, for around this part of Massachusetts. Use Your Blinker is three words. Uh, you can look at it, you can smile, you can get the message very, very quickly. Some of the others, it was far more contrived. Contrived to the stage to the stage where they kind of miss, you know, they lose the point. They're meant to be a safety message. You're not meant to be spend five minutes trying to decode them uh, as you're driving mm. along. Federal Highways Administration saying, no, 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 these are, these are for information. Uh, they are for yeah. information and guidance. If you still want unamusing jokes that hang around for months and months and months after they've ceased being funny or even relevant, then there are still churches around. <laughs> why, not the, why not the road is still advertising its Christmas services on the sign outside? So, you know, plenty of churches around where you can get your, your fill of, of bad jokes. Um, as as well. So yeah, they really were quite quite annoying. But but yeah, I'm not sorry to see them go. To be perfectly honest, no. yeah. In the UK, this this could well be implemented too. I mean, if if you're in Scotland and you're on the motorway and it's reminding you to drive on the left, then it is a bit redundant at that point. It's just a bit tiring. I think that's it for this week. No particular believe parish notes other than YouTube. You know, like and subscribe all these other good things. I really would like to reach 500 subscribers. That would make me very, very happy indeed. Okay. But meanwhile, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast, on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rate it on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is if you search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter or Mastodon. You'll find me there. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, and Alan, if people would like to know more about the origins of the Yaris Club from you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? <laughs> best way is on uh, Twitter or Blue Sky, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. I did actually log into LinkedIn yesterday for the first time in months because I find it an appalling platform for stalking people, but never mind. So yes, do it there. Uh, obviously, where I'm at, AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back relatively soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>